Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Job. Let's read together Job chapter 1. And the text for this morning's sermon will be verse 5. This chapter as a whole is probably the most familiar part of Job, but yet probably many of us have often passed over verse 5 without thinking too much about it. This is God's Word to us. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep, and three thousand camels, and five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred she-asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence camest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But pull forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God hath is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came another also and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men. And they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. As far we read God's Word, the text for this morning's sermon is verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And Job, for Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Scripture makes clear that Job was a very godly man. It's the first thing that we learn about him as he's introduced at the outset of this book. Verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright. Now, that does not mean he was perfect in the absolute sense of the word, but his uprightness was complete. There were no glaring sins in Job's life. To use the language of the New Testament, Job was a man who was blameless. Furthermore, Scripture says about him that he was one that feared God and eschewed evil. He feared God. That is, not only did he have a right knowledge of God, but that knowledge led him to have a very high view of God. His heart was filled with reverence for God. And with that reverence in his heart, he then sought to do that which was pleasing to our God. He lived for the glory of God. And he eschewed evil. He very deliberately avoided it. He abstained from it so that his life was one of constantly turning away from sin and evil. He was a godly man. And that, in spite of his great wealth and prominence. Because Scripture also teaches us about those aspects of this man named Job. Verse 3 describes for us his immense wealth, all of the livestock that he had, so that he was the, the greatest man of the East in those days. He was the richest man in that day. He was wealthy. He's also a man of prominence. Chapter 29, verses 7 and following teach us that he was one who sat at the city gate. That is, he was an elder. He was a, a ruler in that day. And it's clear that the others respected him. Others deferred to Job. And the fact that he was so wealthy, the fact that he was so prominent, makes his godliness all the more remarkable. His wealth did not lead him to deny God or to forget God. His prominence did not go to his head so that he became puffed up in pride. But though those are aspects of his godliness, those are not the things that Scripture itself emphasizes regarding his great godliness. Instead, what Scripture itself focuses on when it wants to give us an example of this man's godly character is that he was a godly father. That's the connection between verses 1 and 4 and 5. Verse 1 is telling us about the character of this man from abroad, from a general point of view. And verses 4 and 5 is giving us the concrete, specific example of that godliness. For it tells us in verse 5 that when the days of their feasting were gone about, gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, that is his children, and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Scripture is giving us a specific, a concrete example of his godliness. And that this is the example is quite striking. What highlights his godliness is not that he managed his wealth so well. Not that he managed his prominence so well. But that he managed his household. That he was a loving father in the home. And more specifically, that as a father, he was a priest to his 
family to His children. One who Himself was devoted to God, but then sought to devote, to consecrate His children to God. It's that aspect of His life that we want to focus on this morning as we consider Job 1 verse 5 using as our theme, Job's priestly parenting. Job's priestly parenting. First, we'll look at his spiritual concern. Second, at his regular practice. And third, our firm confidence. His spiritual concern, his regular practice, and our firm confidence. In this passage, we see Job functioning as a priest in his family. It's evident from verse 5 when it says that Job sent and sanctified them. That word there means literally to, to devote, to consecrate someone to God. It's the same word that's used a number of times in the book of Leviticus with reference to the work of the high priest whose calling was to represent the people of God and to bring them into the presence of God, to lead them unto God. Job sought to sanctify, to devote his children. He's functioning as a priest. And that's also evident from the fact that he makes offerings for them. He rose up early in the morning, the text says, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. And I'll explain that more fully later on in the sermon, but the point now is that's the work of a priest. So that Job is clearly functioning as a priest here. Now that might raise the question, well, how could he? For was not the priesthood reserved for the Levites, for Aaron and his sons? Was it not sinful for someone who was not a part of that family to offer burnt offerings? The explanation is that Job lived before those Levitical laws were laid down at Mount Sinai. Job almost certainly is a contemporary of Abraham and the other patriarchs. So there has not been, God has not given those laws that would prohibit anyone other than the Levites, anyone other than Aaron and his sons, from offering burnt offerings. Instead, at this time in history, this was the duty, the responsibility of the heads of home, of the fathers of the home. This is what we see when we look at other examples from this same time frame. This is what Noah does as the head of his home immediately after he gets off the ark. As the head of his home, he prepares an offering. He makes a sacrifice. This is what we see the patriarchs doing. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the heads of their home. We see them building altars and offering sacrifices on them. In harmony with that, Job is doing the same. So that he's not a priest in the sense of an office bearer in the church but a priest in the sense of the head of his family. But that then raises a follow-up question. Well, how then did he know about the whole need for a sacrifice if this is before the book of Leviticus was ever written? Well, the answer there is that God had revealed the need for sacrifices from the very beginning. Immediately after the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, God gave them that covering for their nakedness. He gave them skin from animals, which implies that bloodshed took place. And we understand that what God was doing there was teaching His people, teaching Adam and Eve the need for the blood of another to cover their sins. God was teaching them that He would have them make sacrifices for their sin. And that's clear from the fact that Immediately after, we read about God doing that for Adam and Eve. In the next chapter, we see their sons doing this. And Abel bringing one of the animals from the flock as a sacrifice for his sin unto God, which was pleasing unto God. And it's clear that that instruction was handed down from generation to generation to generation so that Job understood this need. And so what we see here is Job functioning as a priest. One who himself was devoted to God, but wanted his children to be consecrated, set apart unto God, set apart from sin, 
into all evil and instead devoted to our God. And the fact that He was faithful in this shows us His overall spiritual concern for His children. Now, spiritual concern for His children included the fact that His goal was that His family as a whole glorified God. That was His overarching goal. And that's clear from His concern in verse 5. In verse 5 it says that Job says, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He's concerned that they've cursed God because he wants them to do the exact opposite. He wants them to bless God. He wants them to glorify God. So that Job's primary concern for his children was not that they too become wealthy, that they too become men and women of prominence, But his primary concern was that they fear the Lord and eschew all evil. But at the same time, he recognized this would not happen automatically. For Job understood that his children were sinners. Comes out from what he said. The end of verse 5, It may be that my sons have sinned. He was concerned about that. And he was concerned about that, especially in light of what they'd been doing. Verse 4 says, And his sons went and feasted in their houses everyone his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. So this verse is telling us that Job's children got together for a week-long feast. Seven days. There were seven sons, and each son took a turn hosting the other family members in his home for this time of eating and drinking. Now to be clear, this was not wrong in and of itself. Though there would have been drinking involved, we are not to picture this riotous party. But instead, they're gathering together for a time of fellowship. The way that we would gather together as families for the holidays, for example. So what his children are doing is not wrong. But yet Job... Knowing his children are sinners, sees in this, nevertheless, the potential for sin. And that's what has him worried. He sees the fact that my children are well not are wealthy enough to take an entire week off and to spend a whole week feasting. And there's the temptation that comes with that to suppose that my hands have gotten this wealth to forget God, to deny God, and to suppose I don't need Him anymore because I have all these things. He understood the temptations associated with alcohol. That while little wine is legitimate, too much can lead to all sorts of other sins. Thus Job says what he does, it may be that my sons have sinned. Perhaps they went a little too far. Perhaps they were not thinking about God the way that they should. Job understood that though his children were godly children, nevertheless, each one of them had that old man of sin within them. What is more, he understood the character of sin. That sin is a matter of the heart ultimately. It says in the verse, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. He's not so concerned that they're actually going to curse God out loud with their lips, but within. Because he understood the the truth that Jesus Christ would teach thousands of years later when he said in Mark 7 verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Job understood that his children are sinners. And it was this knowledge that led him then to be so faithful in performing these priestly duties as the father of his home. He wanted his children to be right with God. 
so that they might enjoy communion, fellowship with this God. And therefore, He made sacrifices on their behalf. And in this we see His spiritual concern for His children. And this must be our concern as well. As parents, for our children. For God has made each one of us as believers to be prophets, priests, and kings. It's the truth that we are taught in Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which explains to us the meaning, significance of the name Christ. Christ means that Jesus is the anointed one sent by God as mediator. And as the anointed one, he is our prophet, priest, and king. But Lord's Day 12 goes on then to explain why we are called Christians. And the explanation is that we are partakers of Christ's anointing. And thus, we have been made to be prophets, priests, and kings. Each one of us occupies the office of believer with that, those three different aspects to it. And that applies not just to us generally as believers, but now in light of this morning sermon, to us as parents. As parents, we are to be prophets in our home. Those who know the Word of God, but then who speak that Word to our children, who teach our children the truths of God's Word. As parents, we're to be kings. We're to rule our homes according to God's Word. We are to see to it that our children are behaving as citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven as they ought to. But now our focus this morning is on the fact that as parents, we are to be priests in our home. Ourselves devoted, consecrated unto God. But more than that, as parents, we are to bring our children to God through Jesus Christ so that they might be set apart from sin and set apart unto God. And that means we must have the same spiritual concern that Job had for his children. And that begins with having a right goal for them. That they would glorify God. There are many things we want for our children, many of which are legitimate. We desire that our, our children be good students, capable musicians, perhaps an all-star athlete. When, we get, when they get older, we, our hope for them is that they're able to find a, a good career to be able to provide for themselves. Our desire is that they get married, have children of their own. And each one of these is a legitimate desire. But they may not be the main thing. Because if as parents we make the most important thing being our children's grades or how well they can play an instrument or how good they are at sports, well, our children are going to learn to do the same. Our children will learn very quickly, this is what dad and mom value. This is what they prize being materially well off, for example. And I need to value and prize that myself. And if we do that as parents, what we're doing is really teaching our children idolatry. So if that's our focus, we are failing as parents. Our primary goal for our children must be that they glorify God. Now, that does not mean the other things are unimportant. Job saw to it that his children were taken care of. Job saw to it that each one of his seven sons had enough from a material and financial point of view to have their own home already. But that's not his overarching concern. His primary concern is that they grow up fearing God and eschewing evil. That they live to the glory of God. And that must be our primary concern too. More than that, like Job, we must labor 
as parents in the awareness that our children are sinners. We want them to glorify God in all that they do, but we recognize that they fall short of that. Each one of our children is a sinner. Even the child presented for baptism this morning. Very cute. And in many ways, innocent. But yet, not entirely. For as Psalm 51 teaches us, we were shapen in iniquity. In sin did our mothers conceive us so that even this baptized child has a depraved nature. Our children are sinners and we need to Remember that in our parenting. We may not be those parents who suppose my child would never do anything wrong. We may not be those parents who have the teacher in the Christian school come to address something about our child's behavior in the classroom and then immediately become defensive and say, my son, my daughter would never do that. That's ignorance. To suppose that our children are above this sin or above that sin. We must be mindful of their sinfulness. And that applies to all of our children, but really we need to know the particular sins of each one of them individually. We must be mindful of each child's weaknesses. Because they're each different. And as parents, it's our calling to help our children to see their sins for themselves. We need to see their sins, but we must cause them to see it. We must show them from the Word of God, my son, my daughter, what you're doing is wrong. They must see that. For it's only when they see their sins that they will then see their need for Jesus Christ and then as priestly Parents, we bring them to God through Christ. We lead them to the cross of Calvary. And we show them Christ crucified from the pages of Scripture. And that must be our regular practice. Even as it was the regular practice for Job. We've seen that he was a priest and his spiritual concern for his children. But now we want to focus more on what we see Job doing as a priest here. And there are really two things that he does as priest. The one is on the foreground, the other is implied, but both are aspects of being priestly parents. First, as parents, we are to lead our children to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And that's what Job does here. The verse tells us that when the days of their feasting were gone about, that that is, after they were done, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. The text says he sent for them. And the idea is he, he sent a messenger to fetch them. He called for them. He beckoned his children to gather together the morning after their feasting was completed. And then he proceeded to offer burnt offerings. This in addition to the regular offerings that he made as the head of his home. Here there are ten additional offerings. One for each child. And in doing this, Job is leading his children to the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. For we must understand that the saints in the Old Testament knew enough to recognize it was not the blood of those animals that covered their sins. They knew that they were just a picture. They understood that they were to look ahead to one who was to come who would make the sacrifice for sin. So for Job to make these sacrifices for his children is for him to exercise his faith to look to the coming of the Messiah and to lead His children to look to the coming of the Messiah. To the One who would sacrifice Himself at the cross to cover not only our sins as parents, but the sins of our children. 
That's what Job did. And as parents, we must do the same. Bring our children to the cross. To their Savior Jesus Christ. And we do that in part by bringing them to be baptized. Jacob and Bethany, by bringing Elliot up the steps to receive the sacrament of baptism, you have brought him to Jesus Christ. That is, when we have our children baptized, we're bringing them to the blood of our Savior. That one cleansing agent that can remove and wash away all of our sins. That's just the beginning. Our calling as parents goes beyond that. For it's not that we've brought our child to baptism and now we're all done bringing them to Christ, but this must be something that continues. We're to bring our children to Christ in the instruction that we give them. That includes reading God's Word. And showing them our Savior from the Word. Not just from the Gospel accounts where Christ is on the the foreground, but in the whole of Scripture. So that when we read in the Old Testament about these sacrifices, these offerings, when we're reading a book like the book of Leviticus, we're still pointing them to our Savior. My son, my daughter, this is a picture of what Christ did at the cross. But it's not just when we have our Bibles open. Regularly, we are to instruct our children about their Savior. And that includes when we discipline them. That is, in those times when it's not just that it may be that my sons have sinned, but we know full good and well that they have indeed sinned. In those times, we must discipline our children, but with a view to bringing them to the Gospel. Discipline does not end when we've administered the spanking and then we walk away as parents leaving the child there to cry alone. But it should only ever end when we've brought them to the cross. Help them to see their sin, but then make clear to them there is forgiveness for that sin. So that a part of the discipline is our children learning to confess their sins to God. We help them pray the words to God and then make clear God forgives you and I forgive you. Because of the saving work of Christ. As parents, we bring our children to the cross, which is to say we must parent with the Gospel. Not just the law. That's our default tendency. To parent with the law. Command upon command upon command. Do this. Don't do this. Stop doing that. And then discipline when they go wrong. All that's necessary. All that's important. But if that's the whole of our parenting, we're missing the most important thing. Parenting with the Gospel. Like Job, sending for our children and bringing them not to an altar, but to the cross. Pointing them to our Savior and saying, My son, my daughter, there is forgiveness because Christ took the punishment we deserve for our sins. Pointing our children to His life of perfect obedience and making plain to them His obedience is given to us. It's transferred over to our account so that we might be righteous with our God. That first of all is our calling as priestly parents. But priests do more than bring God's people to the sacrifice. Secondly, priests also pray for God's people. Those are the two main aspects of the priest's work in the Old Testament. They make sacrifices and they intercede on behalf of the people. And that's clearly implied here. It's not stated explicitly, but the fact that we read of Job 
saying what it does. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And the fact that He's offering burnt offerings on their behalf makes clear He's praying for His children. He's lifting up their needs to God in prayer. It's part of consecrating, devoting them unto God. And as parents, we must do the same. Pray for our children. Not just for their physical needs, but especially for their spiritual needs. That God would forgive them. That God would sanctify them. That God would take that instruction that we give to them and apply it to their hearts by His Spirit. We're to pray for our children as they go off to school. Each morning saying, Father, help them to be respectful to their teachers. Help them to be kind to their classmates and help them to do their work to the best of their ability. And we're to pray for them, not just generally, but specifically, individually. Job brought an offering for each of his ten children. And there must be prayers that we raise for each of our children according to their own unique needs that we as parents know. There's no one who know. There's no one who knows our children better than we do. And with that knowledge of, I know my son has this unique need and I know my daughter has this sinful struggle, we're to take those things and make them matters of prayer to our God. And we're to pray not just for them, but we're to pray in front of them in their hearing. Job brought his children to this sacrifice. He sent for them. He called them together to observe what He would do. To watch Him offer burnt offerings on their behalf and to hear Him undoubtedly pray for them. The same must be true of us as parents. It's good that our children hear us Pray for them by name so that they hear our love, our concern for them. So they come to know what exactly our desire is for them. Not that they become wealthy, not that they become men and women of prominence, but that they learn to fear God and eschew all evil. There are two main aspects to this priestly calling. But the text not only teaches us what we are to do as priests, what must be our practice, but it gives us instruction regarding when. There are four things here regarding the when. First, early. The text says, and it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning. He does not wait. But instead, he makes this a matter of, this is a priority to him. He makes this a matter of first importance. And that's the point for us that this must be a priority. Not necessarily that we have to get up early, although there's wisdom in that. But the point is that this is what's First, regarding our priorities, what's most important to us as parents. Second, regarding the timing, we're to do this daily. Daily, verse, the end of the verse says, thus did Job continually, and the idea literally is, all of the days, this was his regular custom. And so it must be for us. This may not be an occasional matter. This may not be something we do every great once in a while, but daily we are to be bringing our children to Christ and praying for them in the name of Christ. 
I know. It's demanding. I know it's a high calling. But this is what we've promised to do. When we took that baptismal vow and responded yes to the questions, we promised that we would instruct and bring up our children in the aforesaid doctrine or help or cause them to be instructed therein to the utmost of our power. And that means making sacrifices for them. Sacrificing our time, our energy, our comfort. So that daily, we are bringing them to Christ and bringing them to God in prayer. When are we to do this early? That is, this should be a priority for us. Second, daily. This must be regular for us. Third, when special needs arise. That's what Job's doing here. The occasion for this is that his sons and his daughters had just spent seven days feasting. And now he does not go to the extreme of disrupting their feasting. He has enough trust in his children that they will seek to honor God even in their feasting. But yet in light of the occasion, in light of the unique temptations that come along with seven days of feasting, as soon as it's done, He calls them together to make known His spiritual concern and to bring them to those offerings that pointed them ahead to Jesus Christ. There's a special occasion, a special need, and that's a reminder for us as parents. When it is the fact that our children have sinned. When we see the potential for sin, unique temptations that might confront them, or we see them start to drift from a spiritual point of view, We address that. My son, my daughter, I'm concerned about you right now. And I want to talk to you and I want to bring you once again to the cross of Jesus Christ. We're to do this early. We're to do this daily. We're to do this upon special occasions. And we are to do this even when our children are older forth. These are adult children that Job is praying for. His seven sons each have their own homes and his daughters evidently still are living in the house because the sons send and call for the three sisters, but yet they're, they're old enough to attend this, this banquet, the feast. They're, they're not little girls anymore. They're, they're young women. But yet the age of his children does not prevent Job from saying, well, they're, they're old enough. I don't need to intervene as a father. But as a loving father, even for his teenage and adult children, he still is bringing them to this sacrifice. He's still praying for them. And the same must be true of us. Certainly we pray for the little lambs. But we pray also for the teenagers for the young people, for the young adults, and even for our adult children who have families of their own. We continue to pray that our adult children would fear God. Eschew all evil. We pray that God would give them the grace to raise their children in a God-honoring way. And we pray for... Our children's children, so that there's application here for grandparents. We're to pray for our children, for our posterity. And that includes praying for the wayward children. Those children who have, in fact, cursed God in their hearts. Who have denied the faith, 
who have left the church altogether. We still pray. Knowing that our God is able to change the heart. And though it may take many years, He will bring His own back in the way of true repentance. So as priestly parents, we are to follow the example of Job here. And as we follow this example, we may do so with a firm confidence. And our confidence is found in our Savior Jesus Christ and the fact that Christ laid down His life not just for adult believers, but for the children of believers as well. And that's clear from Mark chapter 10, which is referenced for us in the baptism form. In Mark chapter 10, we read of parents bringing their children to Jesus Christ. Mark 10 verse 13 says, And they brought young children to Him that He should touch them. That is, they wanted Him to bless their children. And that's indeed what Jesus Christ does. Verse 16, And He took them up in His arms, put His hands upon them, and blessed them. And that's significant because for Christ to bless these children in this way meant that when He would go to the cross sometime after this, He went there in part to pay for the sins of these little children. So that those offerings to which Joe brought his parents, to which Joe brought his children, were not just for Job as an adult, but for his children. And standing behind all this is the truth of God's promise to continue His covenant in the line of generations. The promise that He made to Abraham in Genesis 17, verse 7, I will establish My covenant between Me and Thy seed after Thee. And we must see that that promise is as good today as it was when God made it to Abraham. And that does not mean that God will save every last single child born to believing parents. But it does mean that it is His will to gather His elect from the children of believers. And this means that God will indeed sanctify them. Remember, that's what Job wanted. He sent and sanctified them. We must see that's God's work that He will indeed perform. And did you notice that that's a part of our baptism form? God's promise that He will do that. We're taught that we baptize our children in the name of the triune God. And regarding why they're baptized in the name of the Holy Ghost, we read this, the Holy Ghost assures us by this holy sacrament that He will dwell in us and sanctify us to be members of Christ. And when it comes to that first question that's put to us as parents, the question reads this way, whether you acknowledge that although our children are conceived and born in sin and therefore are subject to all miseries, yea, to condemnation itself, yet that they are sanctified in Christ. That's God's own work. And the fact that that's God's own work is what gives us the confidence as parents that it does not depend on me. Oh, what a sigh of relief. Because if it did depend on me, we would have no hope. Because as parents, every one of us recognizes our own failures, our own weaknesses, our shortcomings, our sins. When we hear a sermon like this, we see just how far short we fall of our calling, of our obligation as parents. 
But praise be to God, their sanctification does not depend upon us. It's the work of our triune God. And that's what gives us confidence. That He will use us as instruments, as tools in His hand. That's our place. As parents, we are not the saviors of our children. There's only one Savior. The High Priest, Jesus Christ, who made the once and for all sacrifice for their sins, who ne- whoever lives to make intercession for them. He's their Savior, but yet our Savior uses means. He uses tools in His hand, namely godly parents for the salvation of His own. And knowing that our Savior is pleased to use weak means to fulfill His will, we labor with confidence. Knowing that He will use our feeble efforts to be priestly parents for the salvation of our children. So may God give us that confidence, and may God give us the grace to now heed this Word. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word as it sets before us the once and for all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And we pray that Thou wouldst make us faithful as parents in bringing our children again and again and again to our Savior, leading them to Calvary. And we pray that Thou wilt use us weak and sinful as we are, for the salvation of our children. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.